Hi everyone, welcome to Season 2 of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast, where we interview Asian entrepreneurs and professionals around the world. And for this season, we're going to take our conversations deeper about our Asian identity and hustle stories. We also want to announce that we are hosting our first ever Asian Hustle Network Uplifted Conference next spring in Las Vegas. For more info and to reserve your seats, check out our website at asianhustlenetwork.com. Don't forget to grab a copy of our recently released book, Uplifted, Journeys of Abundance, Community, and Identity, which tells the personal stories of how 21 Asian American entrepreneurs are shifting culture. You can order it on our website as well. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. His name is Dave Liu. Dave is a veteran in the technology industry, having worked for over two decades at big tech companies, including Yahoo, Apple Cisco, and eBay, and founding two startups. In 2005, he bootstrapped his first company, FanPop, a user-generated community site for entertainment fans to over 40 million monthly users. After FanPop, he ran Marketing for Lux, a two-sided marketplace for on-demand valets. He leveraged the experience to launch his second startup Paired, a restaurant enterprise software business. In 2011, Dave created a community called Asian American Founders Circle, which has grown to over 300 founders, including Tony Hsu of DoorDash, Steve Chen of YouTube, Kevin Lin of Twitch, and many others. AAFC inspired the launch of Hyphen Capital, a syndicate focused on investing in AAPI founders that has invested in over 50 startups since launching in fall of 2020. He most recently started a movement with a letter condemning hate crimes against Asians, which he wrote that was signed by over 1,000 prominent business leaders and was published as a full page ad in the Wall Street Journal. Now with over 8,000 signatures, it has led to the launch of Stand with Asian Americans. Dave received his bachelor's degree in finance from the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School and his MBA from the Stanford Graduate School of Business. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here. That is quite an introduction, Dave. You have done so it's, much already. It's a long introduction. <laughs> I'm old. That just means I'm old. It's no, a long. Not, not at all. Thank you for what you do for the community, especially you know, organizing the standard Asian Americans during a time that we needed people to stand up and speak up. That means a lot, you know, and when we look at you, it's like you've been organizing Asian Americans for so long now and you're one of the pioneers in this space. So before we dive deep into that, let's dive deep into why you do things the way you do. And we want to talk a little bit more about your childhood. What was your upbringing like? Yeah, so I was, my parents moved and immigrated from Taiwan and uh, the 60s, and they went to graduate school. I was born in Queens, New York, so I'm an East Coast boy, and then grew up in New Jersey. My parents moved to New Jersey, and, you know, we, we moved around, you know, a couple of times. I grew up in not, I wouldn't say a rough part of town when I was little, but I did. And, you know, it was the school. I was the only Asian kid in the school until another kid moved in, another Taiwanese kid. And we were best friends, of course, because, you know, we, we had to survive. But most of the kids, it was predominantly black and, you know, there were some white kids. But I learned very early that I had to be very quick-witted and fight back in order to survive. Otherwise, people saw weakness. So, you know, I think growing up, 
I gained trust and kind of friendship by just if I could, if people would insult me with, you know, your mama jokes, if I could go insult them even worse, you know, and earn their respect, that's how I survived. And then they all basically respected me after that. They were afraid of getting any arguments with me. So it, it taught me a lot. But then, you know, my parents moved us to a better you know school district in, in Princeton, New Jersey, where it was about 30 percent. Asian, uh, South Asian and East Asian. And that's where I kind of grew into my identity of, uh, you know, being more proud of being Asian American before it was actually kind of almost, you know, a weakness because I was the only Asian in that school that I was at before and it brought attention to me. Then it became one where I could actually be proud of, you know, my heritage and find others like me and, you know, celebrate the things that we had in common. You know, I think it was, I was very fortunate to have that, but also, you know, my dad, you know, whenever there was ever any, you know, any disagreements or any racist things said to him or injustice, people cutting us in line, people doing like just, you know, disrespecting us. He never backed down and he would always, you know, he'd cause a ruckus and we'd be embarrassed. But now I see why. And I'm, I'm the one probably embarrassing my family sometimes because I'm, I'm not going to let anyone push me around. So I kind of learned to put up that fight from him. He passed away when I was 25. So he's not, no longer with us. But I think I learned a lot growing up about, you know, fight, just fighting back, never backing down. And so that kind of led me to kind of, you know, the letter and the journal and other things that I do. It's like, especially for those who are, who are disadvantaged or less fortunate or don't have, you know, the, the same you know, benefits or privilege as others, uh, I think it's important to stand up for others. So that's how I was raised. And that's how, like, that's why I, I have been doing what I've been doing. I'm so sorry to hear about your dad. And I'm pretty sure he's looking down right now. I'm so proud of what you've done and what you stand for. You know, and Appreciate that. I love that. I love making a ruckus. I'm also the type to make some ruck- ruckus myself <laughs> in case you, people haven't noticed yet. There's people yeah. like, your, like yourself, Dave, that really lays the foundation for other people because we don't question things unless there's some emotion behind it, unless there's the reason why. And then we realize that, hey, wait a minute, what's going on here? Like, that's, that's wrong. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So we need people to make ruckuses. And I really appreciate yeah. that, that, that you're still aware of your identity, right? Your Asian American identity. Because some people can go one or two ways they can put that under the rug and be like i don't want to be asian american i don't have any asian friends like i'm just gonna reject my culture completely but you went the opposite route you're like want to accept my culture and it's cool to be asian right yeah you know i i would say i used to think that about a lot of people too the ones who i'm like oh they're self-hating or they're they're not proud of their asian heritage they're trying to ignore it or you know for self-preservation reasons they just deny it but, you know, I, in, in my age, I've realized we don't know other people's situations. We don't know why they are the way they are. And so until we, we shouldn't assume anything about them or the experience, for all we know that, you know, maybe they just went through a lot of trauma be, because they're Asian, the only Asian person in their school, like I was, and they wanted to hide it. And so it's a way to survive. It is their survival instinct. It is what it is. You know, there are people for whatever reason that don't want to embrace their heritage. But I, through this whole experience and learning and meeting people, I've met some of those people and they've recently come around because of what happened this year and the recent, you know, rise in hate crimes. Those people couldn't, de- they couldn't deny who they were because they can't walk on the street and feel safe. You know, they aren't white. They aren't, you know, even though some of them were, you know, Hapa, they could not just become chameleons and become full white. They're like, no. And they also had to think about their parents, the Asian mom or Asian dad that could have been attacked. They realized that they're like, oh, I'm vulnerable, even though. I have been okay by not embracing my Asian heritage and whatnot, but my mom or my dad cannot do that. They have no luxury in walking down the streets in their hometown and not being accosted by someone who hates them because of their skin color. So everyone goes through their journey. 
no matter you know what what their history is, I don't want to assume anything because people, a lot of people are are, are seeing and learning and embracing who they are and their identity. Even if it's later in life, it's it's their journey. And I'm you know the the only thing I can do is speak words of truth to, to power, and hopefully you know they resonate with it and they see you know that you know that makes a lot of sense, and that that that's all I can do. Yeah, I love that you shared that, and I absolutely agree with you. Everyone has their own journey, and then I think at the same time, like throughout the pandemic, what the Asian community had to go through, we couldn't deny who we are, right? We couldn't deny like how we look like, you know, and I think that forced us to look deeper into our cultural heritage. Even if, you know, some of us may not have been affected being Asian, we did, you know, experiencing our parents or our grandparents go through, you know, very traumatic experiences. And I think that's what caused us to be like, you know what, I want to learn more about my culture so that I can educate other people about it, right? So the more we educate other people about it, maybe other people will have more empathy for our community. And I love that you mentioned about, you know, your father not backing down. And I'm so sorry to hear about his passing as well. That actually really reminds me of my father as well. He's actually very petite. He's like five, two. He's like five foot two. But he will yell at anyone who like disrespects him. And I think that's just like the most funniest thing and just the most inspiring thing to me, you know, because we need people like that. I think in the Asian culture, we're so accustomed to just like, you know, just shying away and not saying anything. But we need people to show us, you know, we need to speak up because we have a voice and we can't just, you know, accept all of the discrimination that goes on in our lives. Yeah, I I mean, I think honestly, a lot of folks, you know, I notice on LinkedIn all the time, a lot of us are in self-preservation mode where we can't, we don't say anything because we can hide and we can just blend in and not, talk, you know, again, keep our heads down. But when it came to this, people just, you know, they could not do that anymore. They had, I mean, a lot of us are, my non-Asian friends didn't even know stuff was happening. They were clueless about any stuff, but we saw it in our feeds, on our Instagram feeds and Facebook all the time, right? And so, you know, if you followed, you know, Dion, you know, Dion's feed or any of these other feeds, you see the stuff that's happening and you can't deny it. And so I think, them seeing people who look like their mom or dad or their friends or sisters or husband, I mean, that was scary for them. And I think that made them realize, oh, no, I can't deny my identity. This is who I am. So, yeah, for better or worse, like, our dads being, you know, fighters, that may have gotten that. I, I, don't, even, I don't think I've shared this before, but um, I got suspended in high school because I got someone attacked said something to me and I pulled out a knife and then I beat, beat him up. And that was probably not a good thing, but I got suspended from high school too, because like I was pretty stupid. I should have backed down. Someone pulls out a knife. I should not try to get in a fight, but like sometimes it just, that just goes out. Right. And so it's, you know, I think it's instinct to s- survive. And so, you know, for, for good or bad, it's, I think it's good that we can, we, we have the, the confidence to, to stand up, but I think it's about encouraging others to do the same. And so that's what I mean, I've been trying to do. That's awesome. I mean, I'm learning so much about you already. And I never told anyone this to you. I too also got suspended in high school for getting into a fight over racial slurs. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad we we're sharing. Okay, because some, if some people, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I was, I, I will, I will say I probably ran to the bathroom and vomited because I thought, Oh, I'm not getting to Harvard now. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I am not getting to Harvard anymore, but that was different, different reasons. But it, it's, it, the thing is, I think, too many times, like that example of, but there's just too many times where people think they can push us and walk over us and we won't push back. And, you know, I'm not okay with that. Like, that's not me. And I don't think that's most of us. I mean, you know, the immigrants that came here, the refugees, the other, you know, all, all the different people that have come here, like they fought tooth and nail. They survived so much to be here and they still survive. They move into neighborhoods. And, you know, one of my black friends told me this, like I, they said, I have so much respect for Asian immigrants because they come in and move into neighborhoods that they're not wanted in, that the community there, they, they don't like them. And they think that, you know, and they're, they still 
they can't even speak the language. They come in there, they open a business, they try to, they, they deal with all the stuff they deal with. And so, I mean, they they go through so much and they're like tough as nails. And he, I mean, he said as a black entrepreneur, he's like, he respect, he, he respects that hustle. And he's like, that, that is true. Like, you know, grit to be able to do that. Like no one does that. Like, that's crazy. Right. So, I mean, Absolutely. again, all the people in HN, like this resonates with them because everyone's trying, trying to make it. And, you know, that I think it shows that we're fighters because, you know, there's, you know, we're all trying to, to get somewhere. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Definitely agree. I mean, on top of us, like having no one like us, like no one ever liked, you know, Asian immigrants, you know, taking over jobs, as I say, but we also were given jobs that no one wanted to do. Yep, that's right. So that's another thing. And that's we right. still, did, we still did them, you know, we, we worked so hard doing yeah. jobs that no one else wanted to, none of the Americans wanted to do, you know? And so that, that goes to show like the hustle and the grind that we have inside of us. And I think it's like, you know, we, we talk about the, the jobs, like it's, it's literally not just like the, the laundromats or the, the cleaning jobs or this or that. Literally all of the IT jobs and other jobs that are white collar are also jobs that, you know, some of these folks are using that they, they hope that they get promoted someday, but they don't because of bamboo scaling. And I always, I liken it to the basically railroad labor when we, when the Chinese were coming, I, you know, I've learned more and more about like the railroad workers and the coolie labor that basically 90%, 15,000 of those folks were Chinese that built the railroad. And on the, you look at a picture of the, the day that Leland Stanford celebrated connecting the, the Central Pacific Railroad and Union Pacific Railroad, it was a picture of all white men. It's not like there on the day, there was not a single Chinese person in that, in that picture. And it's like, they, like, we're good enough to be the, the, the railroad laborers or the engineers or the like investment banking analysts or consultants, analysts, whatever, but we're not good enough to be promoted to, you know, to anything above a certain level, like that's unacceptable. So I think when you start digging deeper and seeing like, wait a second, has this been like this the whole time? And it has, that's when I start trying to encourage people to build their own houses and, and build their own railroads and not do it for other people who are basically taking advantage of their labor. Because again, some of them might not speak up for themselves and, and they, you know, they're, they're, or they're just fine with whatever scraps are given. And they're like, you know what? I mean, these people figure it out. Like, Hey, if I pay you this much, you'll just keep your mouth shut and keep working. Meanwhile, they're making a hundred X more off the backs of them on the labor. I mean, it's been, it's happened for years when they brought over people for PhDs and all the graduate students from Asia and they worked at the Bell Labs and other, you know, all the research facilities, those those people did not make any of the, the money or equity or any of the upside of that. It was the people that ran the companies that didn't contribute to any of that research that didn't come up with those breakthroughs and they made all the money. So, I mean, again, everyone was profiting off of the work that like a lot of us did or our parents did. And, you know, that's not okay. So I think the more we realize, you know, that we should be you know, kind of building our own houses, the more we can you know, help other, other folks in the community too. I really like the fact that you brought that up too, because that's something that I sort of realized probably like at least eight, nine years ago about the same realization. It's like, wait a minute, like there's so much history erasure in, in American history, right? A lot of things, Asian Americans have, have been there for a long time, but we're never included in the history books. It's the same thing with our parents and exactly what, what you mentioned too, with like bringing over PhDs and whatnot. It's, yeah, I, I came to the same realization as you. And I was like, whoa, like as you're putting into words, I'm like, wait a minute, like you're re-sparking stuff in my own memory that I'm like, yeah. so when I started questioning everything, right? Why not us? Main thing that comes to my mind is like, why not us? Why can't it be us, right? Yeah. Why are we continuously yeah. blocked? We're not passive anymore. We're not weak. We're not whatever. We're not dumb. Like we're yeah. we're here to be heard and be seen and play the game correctly. 
Yeah. I mean, look, there's people out there that are always going to help themselves. And the one thing I am, I, I want to encourage people in our community to do is, is I hear all the time during all the anti-Asian hate discussions, like, oh, well, most of the people attacking people are black. It's like, all, it's all black people against us. And I'm like, that's not, one, it's not completely true, but two, it's not, not all black people. Like, let's not take things to a, a level that doesn't exist. And understand you know the same way i have to understand my history i have to understand their history and i understand you know the more i learn about how you know black people have been oppressed in this country from not even being able to buy homes to like most of our parents have risen up because they bought property real estate right we were never blocked from buying property. black people haven't been able to build wealth because they couldn't buy property they were not allowed to and so understanding the underlying issues that this country has oppressed people with and why we're not in the positions we are in because other people are keeping us from places. I'm not, you know, victim. I'm, not, I'm like being a playing victim. I'm just like literally understand the game. If you want to play it right, know know what's really going on because other people are pushing kind of narratives and, and propaganda our way to make us think, oh yeah, they're bad people. They're coming after us, or oh these people are, are no good either. I'm like, no, this has all been set up for us to to like if we look underlying the underlying systems and issues, we'll see how everything is played you know, like that's that's how you have to navigate this world so you know i i feel like this is like my dad like this is when i was like arguing like that was a little like oh man i do see it now the bigger picture is, is so important so you know i encourage and i know a lot of young people are super like all of you guys have been so active and, and vocal and i think you know you guys are, are are fighting for the next generation and i'm doing what i can too but you know we just gotta know our history yeah definitely definitely agree and you know I just want to pivot the conversation a bit to talk about and jump into Dave going out of Stanford MBA program. <laughs> <laughs> I want oh, to jump man. into to that day. Long time I, ago, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's there's pieces of the different podcasts that, that Maggie and I yep. listen to. The Fish Sauce podcast that you mentioned that you yeah. hopped out of Stanford, but then you didn't yeah. feel like you had enough confidence to start your own company yet, right? Yep. And you said that your dad yeah. was an engineer that supported your mom that became an entrepreneur. So I want to understand mm-hmm. like, how did Dave, the NBA student from, from Stanford, continue to yeah. work for someone until he formed enough confidence to start his own company? You know, it's funny. There's, I don't know if it was confidence or I was raised by my parents to believe certainly. A lot of us have been, right? I, I played the safe route. Like they literally gave up, you know, they worked their butts off and spent like all their money to get me through college, to get a good job, to get, you know, my resume basically built up so I could go to Stanford to build, go to business school. That was my dream. And I went and then I think... I realized after that, looking back on my life, how many hoops I jumped through. Okay, so I got into the Ivy League school they wanted me to get into, or I, and eventually I felt like I wanted to get into, and then that should have given me the opportunities I wanted. Then it's like, okay, I was working for a consulting company. That, that should have given me. Then I worked for you know big tech company. Okay, that should Like name brand after name brand. Like literally, I mean, I created the resume that every parent want, but I wasn't happy because I knew that there was going to be another hoop I would have to jump through. And what was it going to, what was that going to be? Was I, on the other end of every one of these hoops I jumped through, I wasn't necessarily happier or more fulfilled. You know, it wasn't like I, I did, I was doing what I wanted to do. I was doing what I was told or programmed to do, you know, and fortunately I'm not, I didn't go down the doctor route because all my friends who are, went down that route, they're trapped. They feel trapped because they can't do anything else. And so I'm like, you know, I jumped through all these hoops and I wasn't happy. And I realized, man, this is not, this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. Keep jumping in these hoops. And, and to what end? I thought when I was at, you know, eBay, I lasted four months because I, my director, I started trying to do some stuff that wasn't, you know, okay there. Like I was trying to rock the boat a little bit. And my director was like, it's not worth it. There's like, this place blew up tomorrow. You know, this place was still make this company was still making millions of dollars. I'm like, what, why am I coming here? Like it's a waste of my time. So I decided, you know, it's, it's time to do my own thing. And I think a lot of that was, you know, that fear that, 
it was confidence, but it was also fear of failure because everything, all those hoops, I knew what the test could be. I know how to jump through those things. If I can get a job, I get a job. Like everything's safe. Literally starting your own company is jumping off a cliff. And and that's like, I have no idea. I always, in my, I've written about this, but like walking in Indiana Jones last crusade, I, when you when he had to step across to get the the holy grail it was like a big cavernous pit that he was going to cross right it was like it was the abyss that he would have stepped out onto if there was nothing there but he did and there was like a walking bridge that was there that he couldn't see but that's all the people that come out of the woodworks to help you support you and and kind of you know invest in you and give you advice and open doors for you but i had that and everyone really does have that they just don't know till they actually step off and do it themselves and so you just have to take that risk but yeah i don't know i've always been confident in my abilities but when you do that it's it's not about it's not even about confidence it's like literally i'm gonna jump off a cliff and so nobody's that confident jumping off a cliff because <laughs> you're like i have no idea what's on the other like what's what's on the other side or how i'm gonna get there but i think it's it was something to me coming out of school that made me realize like i want to do bigger things than just be a cog at a company or, or just work for someone else because that's what my dad did his whole life and he regretted it and i was like and then he he died really young and i was like dude like i don't want to be that guy so that changed. My dad even, my dad passed away before I, I told him I was going to go to Stanford for business school when I was 10 or 11. I, we were looking at a magazine, US News together. That was, he's like, oh, do you want to be a doctor? And I was like, nope, can't stand blood. I was like, should I be in and go to engineering? He's like, oh, don't do that. This is your for man the whole time. And then we saw like, and then, you know, we saw law schools and he's, and, he, and I was like, oh, should I be a lawyer? And he's like, nah, they all lie too much. And then we saw business school and he, he was like, I was like, oh, I can do business. He's like, oh yeah, you, you talk, you, you talk a lot. So you should be, you should do this. And so we saw Stanford was number one and this was like in the eighties or something. I said, okay, I'm going to go there. And I did, but he wasn't around to see that. But it's, I think, I, I think that was when I realized I was like, you know, I, I wanted more for myself after that because he passed away like young enough and had gone through so much to work for, for me. And like, I don't, I don't want to do that. He didn't want that for me either. So I was, it was scary, but I, I think it was, always it's always worked it so anyone listening to this podcast that hasn't isn't doing their own thing i always encourage you to it's scary but it's it's worth the risk i love your dad's reasoning and i'm just so glad that you know you were able to get inspiration from your dad in that way and he was able to kind of be your you know sound your, your soundboard and just tell you you know it's okay to do whatever you want i think oftentimes we tend to overthink like even if the confidence is there we overthink and think like okay if i start this job you know i still probably have to stay there for a year because i don't want to let that yep. corporation down we rationalize like it yeah. we yeah. rationalize but honestly like it, it really is all in our mind you know like yeah. we're not confined to anything and we can do whatever we want and we're not it's not like we owe our lives to that corporation right? and they don't honestly care about you either yeah they have exactly they're exactly. fungible, right? So, I mean, for me, I kept telling myself, if I'm going to start a company, I need to get to this level at a big company and so I can learn what I need to do when I start my own. But honestly, if you move up to a big level in a big company, you don't learn anything you need to do as a startup because that is not, none of it's relevant because you have all the staff and other people to help you get there. And also, you know, it's a different, it's a totally different mentality. So most of those people at like those levels of big companies, they're so, com they're so comfortable that they couldn't start their own business if they wanted to. So it's, it's a very different like mentality. I wish I learned that earlier. I mean, I honestly wish that, you know, I pay a lot of money to go to Stanford for business school, but I think sales is probably the most important skill that they don't give founders. If anyone listening to this, like study sales, because sales is not just selling product, but selling people, selling to like getting and convincing, it's storytelling, it's convincing investors, it's convincing high, new hires to join you, take, a, take the risk. It's convincing partners to work with you. And, and so it's about storytelling and it's about selling, but no one ever told us like, they, you know, I paid for a fancy degree and I didn't learn about selling until I was actually doing it. And so... 
you know, when you're trying to convince people to join, join you on a journey, like you have to be able to tell a good story because, you know, they have a lot of things they could, you know, different places they can go and ways they can, you know, go, but you have to convince them to come with you. Absolutely. I 100% agree. So what was going through your mind at the time when you had started your first company, FanPod? As you're falling off the cliff. Like what was <laughs> oh yeah, that, that cliff. Oh, no, was, that same analogy. <laughs> it was rough because, you know, no, my friends were all, that was around the time when everyone's, all my friends were getting married and going, like having, like I was invited to weddings in like Brazil and Israel and, you know, all over Europe and friends. I'm like, oh man, I'm too broke. I can't go to any of these things. I'm eating like tuna fish sandwiches and ramen. And it sucked because all my friends were making big money out of Stanford. And I was like, uh, I gave up my money. I'm trying to do this thing on my own. And I'm literally paying myself like ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 and burning through my savings. It, it was rough. Like I didn't think I was going to make it. And it's, I think, but things turned around. Things, you know, when you're, when you're forced to figure out how to survive on your own, you, you, you find a way and, you know, it, it turned around and it was, it, it got better and things started going really well. And so I think, I think it's, it's, it is scary and I'm not going to lie. It's dark when you're, when you're a founder and all the people listening to this know this, when you start something on your own, the highs are really high. The lows are so, so low. It's like very depressing and, you know, it's, they're dark, you know, and you don't, you need, no one understands except for other people who, who do this, because if you talk to friends who are like, you know, have six figure jobs and are, are safe and like, Oh yeah, you'll be okay. And it's like, you don't know, like, you don't know, <laughs> like, you don't know that. And I think when you talk to other founders, they'll remind you they're like, Hey, I know this is a tough time. Let's, let's think about how you can like navigate this, how to get through this. But you know, thing, things are get, get pretty grim when you're running your own company, but then things get really well. You'll, you'll, you'll be flying high. The next thing you'll get some lawsuit for some random thing because someone coming after you because they see you're doing well and they're like oh man i feel sick to my stomach then you're flying high again like oh we just sold a big deal next thing you know oh man our our server is like just crashed and we're like we lost all this money from sales now we can't raise money like it just keeps going up and down and so this is this life is not for everyone i said it before it's like i don't you know going through the corporate ladder is you know suck for me but that's me like i think we need people to do that i have so many friends who are really successful in playing, you know, going through that, you know, track. And, and I think we need those people because those folks have influence at big, big companies, big brands, big names that we need. And if we didn't have them, we, we couldn't do a lot of the things for the community that we do. So for everyone who's starting a business, there's folks who are really good at navigating, you know, company politics and corporate culture. And I think we need those folks to be influencers as well, because they're the ones who will bring up others with them. My friend Debbie Sue is the CEO of Open Table. She is promoted, I think, three other Asian women to the exec ranks in the C-level suite. And she's getting, she gets crap all the time. It's like, oh, I guess you got to be Asian to be in the C-suite here, or you got to be an executive here. But no one says that to, I mean, I guess we say that to about like, you know, white males from all the buddies, but she's bringing them along with her. She's not, she didn't, some people just go up and get into the VIP room and they don't bring their friends with them. She brought them along and she's helping them because once they have that title, they can go to other companies and become COOs, CFOs, CEOs, CEOs, and then they will be able to help other people there too. So it's about bringing up people along with you and not just kind of helping yourself. Yeah, I really like that. I feel like the way you look at the world is so encompassing of everything. It's like, it'd be pretty bad if everyone had a founder mindset because no one wants to do the work. Yeah, it's <laughs> Internally, true. It's true. There needs to be yeah. a mixture of both, right? And we need to realize yeah. that there's no there's no reason for us to talk down on each other. Like, oh, you're a founder or you're not a founder or you're W2. We need each other. And it's funny too, because earlier I had a conversation with someone that wants to leave his job. I'm like, you're, you're doing so well. Like, are you sure you can navigate this field? Because it's not as like glamorous as those netflix shows whatever movies that we see you know the nice yeah. watches it's not that it's high and it's super yeah. freaking low it sucks 
Like, I mean, it's, and it's, it's, it's lonely and it's, you know, you definitely feel you're marginalized because when you go to dinner parties, especially in places like New York, in the Bay Area, everyone and their mother is starting, trying to start something. But in places like in New York, they probably think you're unemployed because like, you can't get a job. So you say you're starting a company and it feels, it sucks. Like, you don't want to feel like that. But if it's not the norm and that's not the culture, people think it's weird. They're like, what? You're doing what? And so it can be very isolating. And so you need family and friends who, who support you. But look, I, it's even harder for Asian for Asian kids to, to do it because if companies I've found, I have, I mean, the companies I've invested in, I have so many founders that have the same story. It's like they, their parents pay for them to go to some fancy school and they got some fancy job at Google or Goldman Sachs or McKinsey and they quit to go start a company. Their parents aren't talking to them anymore. They don't know that. The parents are like, I don't know you. Like, you know, I'm like, they're, they're just owned. They're literally. And so these folks have no trust fund. Like, they're not like, you know, they don't have any fallback on a rich uncle that's going to help them. Their parents don't talk to them anymore. And so these, these young, talented kids, like, they need, they literally can't afford to start a company without people investing in them. But look, when I started Hyphen, I thought I would get canceled because it's like, oh, people say, oh, Asians make a ton of money. They're doing great. They raise money all the time. They're successful. They work in tech, all the, you know. And honestly, I'm like, that's not the point. Like, most of the money is not going to us. Most of the money, like, you know, and, and even if it is, a lot of us don't have anything to fall back on to take the risk to try because our parents aren't supportive. We don't have money in the bank. We're literally paying our school debt still or paying our rent or paying whatever to survive. And so we need the money more than, you know, like certain people do. And so if, you know, the gatekeepers are all white males and, you know, you're an Asian woman or an Asian guy, like with an accent who's an immigrant, like you're most likely not, more likely not, not going to get that money. Eric, you want from Zoom, others, that's what happened to them. And it's like, it wasn't, if it weren't for Asian investors to give them money, we wouldn't have had some of these companies today. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And yeah, I was one of those kids where when I quit my job, my mom my and my dad didn't talk to me for like a really long time. They're like, you left her cushy job. I'm like, yes. <laughs> because it's a, they want, they'd work their butts off so that we would have security. And yeah. We, we leave that behind by, you know, and they're, I mean, I don't know how long, probably 10, 10 years. My mom was asking me when I'm going to like go back and work for Google or something like that. I was like, I'm not going to Google. I was like, that's not going to happen. But I think there's the hope in her mind that after everything that they did for me, that I would just go and get a nice sensible job and, and just coast for the rest of my life or whatever. I'm like, no, that's not how it worked for me. I think you bring up a really great point too, because yes, there are definitely a lot of people who say, you know, Asians, they get really great grades, they get well-paying jobs. Like, why do we need so many resources, right? But you're absolutely right. Like a lot of us, you know, whether it be ourselves or our parents or our grandparents being immigrants, you know, coming here with nothing on our backs, a lot of us don't even have, you know, a backup plan or like a second plan that we can fall nope. back on. So it's like, I think a lot of people don't recognize that. You know, a lot of people yeah. don't realize that we don't have a backup plan and we need these resources as, as much as any other, you know, minority group or immigrant, because, you know, obviously a lot of these minorities, including Asian Americans, we need these resources. We, we don't have backup plans. And so that's why I think what you're doing, you know, advocating for Asian Americans, getting these resources is so, so important. Yeah, right? I, I, want to, I want to add, out, I add yeah. onto Nagy's point too. It's like when people are like, oh, you, to start a company is easy. Go, go raise money for friends and family. Like, <laughs> I'm just like, dude, my, my parents don't even have more than like 20K saved in their savings at the time. Like, yeah. I'm not going to ask yeah. them for their life savings so I can mess it up, yeah. you know? I mean, they're already ashamed of us as it is for quitting. Yeah. So that's not going to happen. But look, I mean, at the end of the day, there would be more 
people and people of color and women standing at the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ ringing the bell if they had the early stage capital. That first check is life-changing because someone believes in you, gives you the chance to take a risk and see if you there's something there. If there's a there there, you keep going. You just approve it. But you can't if you can't afford it, you can never take that risk. If certain people have money saved up in their accounts because their parents gave them a trust fund or their rich uncle can always back them up or they got a job because they just call their dad and their dad can get them a job somewhere else. You know, well, of course, but they can take a risk because they got nothing to lose, right? You know, Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos, they, their parents had money. They hadn't, they hadn't, they didn't have to worry about, you know, where they were gonna, what they're going to do next if it didn't work out. And so for a lot of us, we don't have that option. It's li- literally, I mean, hopefully our resumes are good enough that we can brush, dust it off and go get a job. But sometimes that's not the case if you've been out too long. Right. Just to add on to Brian's point about friends and family, like the Asian community is actually, you know, we're we're frugal in a sense. And so we like to save as much money as possible. So it's like it's very hard to find friends and family. And they're they're very risk averse. That's why they'll invest in real estate because it's the safest thing out there. But they're not going to give it to a startup. Yeah, it's absolutely true. I think it's a good segue to talk more a little bit more about hyphen capital. And again, like a thank you for Heighten Capital. I just want to talk to our listeners real quick that we got so many people in Asian Austin Network message me and Maggie about Heighten Capital. Like, can you tell us more about it? We were like the vetting yeah. source and the spokesperson for Heighten <laughs> Capital. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate, you know, the listeners and the folks in the community that, that have been interested. Look, I I started as an Asian found, you know, as an Asian founder 10 years ago, no, longer than 10 years ago. And I found that, you know, I see other communities like the Jewish community of founders, the black community of founders, you know, the Latino community of founders. They were all South Asian community of founders. They were all really tight. East Asians and Southeast Asians, we had, we didn't have any of that. We didn't have that same kind of community and that kind of, you know, because when you go to school, you, when you go to college, you see, oh, there's a Vietnamese student association, there's a Korean student association, there's a Japanese student association, all these different groups that were all separated out and you know we all all segregate into our own little groups but we weren't very good about actually coming together and so i think that was something that i seem to notice so i wanted to get together just get a few of my friends together who had started companies like i got eight people together for a dinner and we uh, basically you know we we got together for you know in the mission 10 years ago it was eric Wu from open door and you know kevin true from the band and a few other friends and that kind of grew and grew over the years and now you know, this Asian American founder circle that has over 300 people in it. I originally started um, Hyphen because last year during the pandemic, I saw how hard it was for people to raise capital because all the kind of circles and networks closed. And if you weren't part of the networks to raise money, you weren't going to get money. And some of these folks needed money to get bridge the capital, get through, and they, you know, they couldn't find it. So I thought, you know, the thing I saw about our community is that everyone is so humble. Everyone was so down to earth. You know, you could have, you know, founders of DoorDash and Gusto and, you know, Zoom and others in a room with people who are just getting started. And they were, you wouldn't know the difference. Like that's the beauty of our community. Like, no one has any, there's very little ego. Everyone knows where they came from and they want to help each other out. And so I saw people mentoring, advising, investing in young founders. And I thought maybe through the pandemic, I could help a few of these founders out who are struggling and, you know, actually codify what I was seeing in the community and create a syndicate. That essay I wrote for just our group was shared publicly and thank you to Tracy Chu for, for doing that because she basically kicked me in the butt because I was like, oh no, this was supposed to be private. And that's when I thought, oh man, I'm going to get canceled now for writing this thing. But everyone just came out of the woodworks. I wrote a LinkedIn post and a Twitter thread and I got 400,000 views on the LinkedIn post. And basically, of course, I knew founders would be interested, but all these people who wanted to invest came out of the woodworks from hedge fund managers to doctors to lawyers to engineers to product managers. I mean, I think everyone saw that this resonated with them and this mission of supporting these young founders. And so it's been amazing to see 
all the folks I've talked to. And look, I find myself, I'm not a people like, oh, you're a VC now. I'm like, no, no, no. I lead a community of people who are angel investors that are that support and want to support and invest in Asian API founders. I'm not, you know, a VC. I help them find the companies and I vet them for them. But a lot of these founders, I'm also finding that I've had luckily been able to, I've been very blessed to be able to mentor some of them, but to do it from the perspective of another founder. So I try to encourage them and talk to them about the, you know, the issues that they are struggling with and stuff that they don't even, they haven't seen yet. Cause I tell them, I was like, they, they always tell me like, Oh wow, this is so refreshing to talk to someone that one looks like me, but also has gone through what I've gone through during the fundraising process. Like they're like, Oh, you know, I'll, I'll talk to them and say, Hey, you know, you're going to probably be in a pitching in a room full of, you know, straight white guys that are, you know, some of them might be pretty mediocre. They shouldn't be, you know, they're, they're asking the wrong questions and it feels very, they're like on their phones being dismissive. And it's like, it's probably overwhelming. It makes you feel small. But remember, it's as much about, it's more about them than it is about you. So things like that, where it's kind of reminding them is like, don't, you know, you shouldn't feel made you shouldn't feel small because someone's making you small it's it's not about you know remember it's not about you in that any in a room that was that looks just like yourself it would be very different but it's not this is not the case so you know they have to make it through and and can keep pushing through but don't take these things personally it's very easy in your journey and everyone's journeys to take things personally but oftentimes it's not it's literally they might be like slam with deals and they just don't have time to even listen properly or they're just jerks and they just want to make people feel like belittled, whatever. If it's for their egos or whatnot, but for whatever reason, don't take it personally because it's really hard not to take it personally. I love it. I love that story. And it's really reminds me of what the early days of Asian Hustle Network kind of looks like too. And personally, like we thought we would kind of get canceled as well, because it was someone who said, why don't you guys name it Hustle Network? And why did you have to put the word Asian in front of it? Right. Anytime Asian or any like any ethnicity is involved, you know, people are always going to talk about their opinions and say, like, why do you have to put in a ethnicity or a race involved? So yeah. I definitely, you know, see where you're coming from, but there is a problem, right? And that's why we put the word Asian in front of it. We wanted to Asians to be the main focus because we recognize that Asians were underrepresented and we needed more Asians to have more representation and to speak up, right? And that's that was the reason why we put Asian in front of it. So it's just amazing to see that this whole thing came from you just starting a community and not even knowing like what would come out of it. Yep. I mean, what you guys have done too, right? It's like you've built a community and you, all these things have come out of it. And I think I mentioned before when we were talking earlier, it's we don't know all the conversations and things that are happening beyond what we've done. We've created this place, space for people. We've created connections, you know, put it out in the, there in the world the same way as, you know, the Wall Street Journal letter was put out in the world. And the ripple effects of those things, you, you'll, you may never know or meet the people that you've impacted with what you're doing. But I think it's important for people to remember just put it out there in the world and see like what it does, because I think that's the only way think change happens. If you, you know, don't even try, then you know for a fact that not, nothing's going to happen. But if you give it a shot and build a community or put the words out there, call it Asian Hustle Network, because people see there is a community for people like me. It's not just Hustle Network, because that's, you know, the hustle, all, all these different people who are talking about like, like that, the hustle culture out there, you know, the rock, you know, all the other, that, that kind of push hard, die, like whatever. I mean, that's different. Like we're, we're trying, we do it differently. There's cultural aspects of our hustle. There's the baggage that we have with our, our parents, our heritage that others won't understand. And so, you know, it's, I think it's, there's something that connects us that, and look, my Taiwanese culture is very different from Vietnamese culture, very different from Japanese culture, different from Filipino or Hmong or, and so, we all bring different things to the table, but, you know, I think without the, the large community coming together, you know, this 
all the Asian hate crimes is, is the first fighting against Asian hate crimes. It's the first time I've seen all our communities come together as one because the end, we have a common enemy that sees us all as one monolith. And that, if that's the case, we have to fight back as a monolith because there's strength in numbers. And so, you know, even seeing all my South Asian friends who are supportive of it, like they're not being attacked because they're not being blamed for the virus, but they support us too because they know that, you know, we're, we're, we're one community, even though, you know, we're all so different. Like, I mean, the South Asian culture is even more different from ours, right? But I think we've been through so much together because they forced us into this model minority myth and one big number. And, you know, we've all struggled through the same stuff, but, you know, we all, we struggle together, we fight together, we rise together. And that's why when, you know, this unforgettable words thing I went to on Saturday, seeing all of that being celebrated among community and everyone there together. I mean, it was, ama- it was the most amazing thing to see so many people so proud of what we've done together as community. I mean, uh, Unforgettable Gala, we're definitely going to be there next year and, and attend and, <laughs> and show up. But I want to bring back, yeah. yeah, I want to bring back to Heights and Capital too, because, you know, the funder, Maggie and I just closed out our pre-seed round or seed round, round or whatever that is. Man, fundraising is is incredibly difficult and it, it makes you, it hurts your self-esteem because you get a lot of people that, that reject you and ask like questions that just don't understand your mission. And I'm glad, I'm glad you're making that not so much easier, but you're making it more accessible for founders to get started, right? Because that is the first hurdle. It's like, well, I convince other people or to believe into the mission that I'm trying to build. And we're having the commonality that look, it's Asian supporting Asians and providing valuable mentorship and advice to these new founders that can help them along their career. So thank you so much for that. Coming from a place where we just literally fundraise, I'm like, thank you, Dave. <laughs> for starting something like that. I know. And and it's 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 hard for everyone. And it's never it's it's never easy. And you know, again, I will put it out there that I can't invest in everyone. We can't invest in every company, but knowing that there is a community that is out there and that there are people out there that support Asian founders specifically, I think is encouraging to a lot of folks because they, even if I can just talk to them and just give them words of encouragement that, you know, Hey, this might not be right for us, but I ha- I'll give you access to community of people that that might be right for it. If they can connect doors might open through the network. I mean, I think one thing everyone on Asian hustle, you know, now we need to know is it is about the network. It's about relationships. It's about, you know, people helping people out and along the way, you never know who's going to help you out. So don't, the one thing I've learned, it, it was interesting. I just got research on glass ceiling, uh, bamboo ceiling from a professor at MIT Sloan. He's, I believe he's Chinese American, but he said the reason why, the research found that the reason why South Asian people are more successful in corporate that are becoming CEOs, like you can see how many, you know, Microsoft, Google, now Twitter, like why they've done so much better is two things he discovered is one, we are, we are not, it says assertiveness was one. So again, we can, we can blame the system for a lot. But we also have to take ownership of our, our own culture. And we have the superpowers of both Asian East and West. And so we need to know what our weaknesses are and you know what our strengths are. And yes, humility and everything is, is fantastic. But if you want to play the game, you still have to be aggressive and assertive. And so and it says nothing about being humble. You can you know still be humble and not be a jerk, but you can be assertive too. And so, you know, South Asians are more assertive in the workplace. And then two was this this interesting I, I never realized before, but that East Asians and South Asians they stick with their own more so than uh, South Asians do. So they don't actually, they, they stay with their ethnic kind of, you know, groups. But when you, when I've seen in my past, these South Asians, they socialize with people of other groups and we're not so great at that. I don't know if it's safety. I mean, I mean, we feel comfortable and safe in our, in our communities of people that look like us. But of course, that's not going to get us anywhere either. So we have to build our networks, not just amongst ourselves, but across other groups. And that's the only way we're going to, you know, open doors because, you know, 
again, this is where we don't live in, we don't live in Asia in America. We live in, as Asians in America that live among Americans and we're Americans too. So we have to, we can't isolate ourselves. So I think it's important to realize that a network is what leads to success. All this stuff that our parents told us about effort leading to outcomes and success is not true at all. You can work your butt off and get nowhere because you're not going to get recognized. No one's going to promote you. Like you have to be a squeaky wheel. You have to make noise. You have to be the lot, you know, just let people know what you've accomplished, what get credit for it. Because someone else is going to take the credit for you. The same thing that I was talking about before, the railroad workers, there are people who are going to take, you know, the people in the photo at the end of the day after the rails were done, railroads were done, we're all white. None of them helped build it. Like, you know, 90% were all Chinese people that built the railroads and they're the ones that should have gotten some credit, but they didn't because, you know, they were written out of the story. So you have to write yourself into the story or, and make it be known. And so, you know, I think that's the only way that we're, we're actually going to make it. And that's why I've become, you know, more vocal about it because I want people to acknowledge what we've done. During the Asian hate crime stuff and the Wall Street Journal letter that we did, one of the things, one of the things I mentioned on the Bloomberg S interview with Emily Chang was Asians got us through the pandemic. We got us through, you know, lockdown because, you know, Asians created Zoom and Door, that Zoom that you use to, to do your work with, DoorDash that fed you, Peloton that you worked out with, YouTube that entertained you. And so that kind of, people didn't even know that Asians created those things. And so I created a, a blog post and wrote out all the companies that were created by Asians. And most Asians didn't know that. They started most of these companies. And I think that visibility, that transparency, those stories need to be told. I went and right after that, I went and bought the domain like startedby.org so I could do the same thing for you know, you know, black founders, for Latino founders, for other people. Because if I'm a Haitian kid living in Queens and I can Google something and say, oh, you know, were there any companies started by, you know, Haitian Americans? And if I find nothing, that sucks. But if I find something on Google and I see others and then I get inspired because I see others, that makes a big difference. I was lucky enough to go, my first job after consulting was to work at Yahoo and Jerry Yang sat around the corner from me. Seeing a Taiwanese American build a company like that, that was impacting the world, was amazing and inspiring. I was lucky that I had that. Some kids, they don't have that. And if they can't even Google and see someone that looks like them doing it, how can they believe that they're going to be the first one, right? Now that Jeremy Lin's done it, there are going to be other Asian kids out there who think they can make the NBA. Like you need someone to be there. Yes, that is so important. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. And Brian and I, we talk about this all the time, how kids nowadays, you know, in the Asian community or, you know, whatever minority they are, they need to see people who look like them and sound like them on screen or else they're not going to believe that there are heroes that look like them and sound like them. And that's so, you know, it's, it's so important to have like Shang-Chi or all of these, you know, new movies that are coming out with Asian lead roles. Right. And you're right. Like a lot of us don't even know that a lot of these big corporations are co-founded by Asian you know, founders like LinkedIn or Rotten Tomatoes. Not a lot of people know that, you know, it's, it's actually co-founded by, by Asians. And another point that you brought up, which is, which I thought was really, really interesting is my parents have always told me to like stay in my own lane. And, you know, and the fact that you brought up the fact, you know, a lot of us are taught to just, you know, stick with our own community and South Asians, they venture out and talk with other people who are not, you know, the same minority, same ethnicity as they are. And so that really makes me think because, you know, my parents have, they, they've always just hung out with, with Chinese people and I've grown up to only, you know, see Chinese people and hang out with Chinese people with like my parents, friends and stuff like that. But networking is really the key. Like we have to network and go out of our comfort zone and network with other people who are not the same as us. Right. Just like how Stop Asian Hate Movement. It's like if only Asians knew about the Stop Asian Hate Movement, then we're not really sharing the word out there. We're not really making any change unless people who are non-Asian knows about the movement. And that's really when we start to make change. Exactly. I think it's about bridging 
those cultures and, and the influence that we have, like if we don't you know, build the influence in other spheres, we're not going to get anywhere. So one of my reasons for starting Hyphen and my vision for starting Hyphen is, again, bigger picture, longer term. I want the people who found, who, who invest in these companies, if they get returns for it, that's great. If the founders make money, that's great. They all, that's wonderful. But I want all of them to reinvest in the next generation, but also invest in making, you know, more like mayors like Michelle Wu of Boston or, you know, finding more people to put in, you know, boards uh, and, and C-suites for companies in investing in movies and TV shows that are, you know, these are not to be, the money doesn't come out, come from those things, but they are, they influence people and culture. And so I want everyone to, you know, be success, wildly successful, make money, but put that money back into reinvesting in the whole community. Because if we can't see our stories be told on, on TV and on, on a big screen or see people running cities like, you know, major cities look like us or, you know, be in Congress, you know, or, or see more people, you know, on in a C-suite or on boards on, on New York Stock Exchange or on CNBC, like then, of course, we're going to be invisible because, you know, we don't even see ourselves. So like like I said, with the Jeremy Lin thing, it's like you have to see it to, to, to want to be it. And so that's kind of what I want Hyphen to become. And, uh, you know, that's that's what we all should work towards. We need to be better about reinvesting back in the community. I, I love that a lot. And it's, again, I keep saying this over in this podcast, but everything you say, I... Dave, we have a lot in common. <laughs> so, so <laughs> I say, um, yeah, I, I keep saying that too, because I, I guess our vision for Asian Hustle Network is to become the ecosystem ourselves, right? Because the reason why we have those conferences is because we want people on stage to, to inspire the next generation. We haven't really announced this yet, but we're coming on an accelerator program pretty soon so we can invest back into the new people in, in our network, right? And I want the people who made it to come on stage to speak and share their story because we were yeah. once in their position. We were once struggling. Why not invest back to the future generation because guess what that's what's been lacking all these years that's why every 10 15 20 years it starts over again literally the asian community starts yeah. over again from square one yeah. you look at heightened capital yeah. you look at ehn gold house we've only been around for two years each of us yeah. you know so yeah. it, start, it literally starts over again i'm trying to break that trend i love how you have the same mindset as well yeah no i mean look i if i was younger now and seen like what Goldhouse is doing, AHN, Southern Asian traits, you know, whatever, you know, stuff that's happening in, you know, pop culture with, you know, Squid Game and BTS and, you know, all the things that I see with more people that look like me. Like I'm doing this for my kids. Like I want them to be able to, when they get to, you know, when they graduate from school and they see the opportunities out there, like I want them to see not just the doctors and lawyers out there. I want to see them see the actors. I want to see them the chefs out there. I want to see them. I want them to see the people running companies, starting companies, being whatever they want to be, because they need more options. I went to see Hassan uh, Hassan Minaj here in San Francisco two weeks ago, and one of the things he said at the end of the show was, you know, his daughter will not grow up like him because she will have options and he didn't have options he was going to be he was told to be a doctor a lawyer engineer and he became a comedian but he's not going to make that mistake with his daughter he's going to make let his daughter choose whatever she wants to be and in order to do that i mean i'm gonna i want my kids to be whatever they want to be too but in order to actually want to be something you have to know and see people that look like that and so i want to plant the seeds to be able to encourage and support and invest in people that are doing things that they can see down the road Love it. And thank you for all that you're doing, Dave. I'm sure that your kids will definitely find a lot of inspiration just from, you know, everything that you're doing. And it compels them and, you know, encourages them to do work that is very admirable as well. Yeah, we, we try to to build a world for our kids, too, even though we don't have kids. So it's my imaginary kids. You still got to build it, though, before they get here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Go ahead, Maggie. Sorry about that. So I do want to give Dave an opportunity to talk about Stand with Asian Americans as well. Yeah. I'm very curious to know, like, what compelled you to write a letter? For anyone who hasn't seen the letter, I really recommend and encourage everyone to go Google that letter. You can find it online. And how did Wall Street Journal get their hands on it? And how did you ultimately get 8,000 signatures leading up to the launch yeah. of Stand with Americans? Yeah, so they can find the letter at standwithasianamericans.com. It was something that I actually, most people don't realize, but I was in Taiwan for seven months during the pandemic. And, you know, I was safe from all the stuff that was happening there, but I was seeing it even before I left for Taiwan, reading and seeing all the news and attacks from Brooklyn to San Francisco, Ratana Pakti getting attacked here in the, in the sunset. I mean, I, I was seeing all that happen. And then I went to Asia. I was didn't have to think about it. I was happy and safe. No COVID, no racist attacks. It was amazing. And I was around all these other incredible Asian Americans that had fled there too. Like, you know, Patrick Lee from Rotten Tomatoes, Kevin Lin from Twitch, guys, you know, Archie Kao, the CSI actor, and, you know, Ray Chen, the violinist. There's so many amazing people there. And it was inspiring to see the diaspora of Asian Americans that were there because I thought, wow, we've done so many amazing things. We have so many amazing leaders, and, you know, people here. And then contrast that with the attacks happening back home and ultimately the, the murders in Atlanta. I think that just broke me and it just made me realize like, wow, it doesn't matter what we do. Like people still see us as foreigners and this is, you know, what we're dealing with. And so I decided to, to write a letter and just see if I could get some of my friends. I'm fortunate to have friends that I do that are way more important than me, that uh, their names mean something. So I wanted them to sign the letter. And so I, you know, just worked with some friends on this and it was, you know, it, we wrote it, a few drafts of it. And then we, someone had the idea to, anyone who I work with and, and Justin Zhu, Wendy wanted to get us published and suggested we get it, you know, let's do a New York Times or Wall Street Journal, somewhere big. And, you know, because we had a lot of big names sign it. So, you know, I put it on Medium, my Medium. I got all these people to sign it. I was like manually transcribing their signatures. It grew and grew. And then, you know, we, we had a lot of big names, but soon the names, we, I started seeing like, you know, we, we saw President George Bush sign the letter and we're like, what, is that real? So we had to go verify it, but, it, you know, George Bush signed it and then Andre Godala signed it. And then, you know, the Sesame Street CEO signed it and, you know, all these other, you know, the Google CEO signed it and slowly but surely it didn't matter if they're Asian or not. Like this is when we saw all these people from, you know, CEO of Footlocker to, you know, the biggest law firms and the biggest ad agencies all signing it. I think it was incredible to see the support from everyone for this. And I think that's, you know, it grew from the thousand to, to 2000 to over 8,000 people signing it. And to me, it was about the letter was my way of expressing my, my anger, my frustration, my fear, all in one way of being an American, but feel, feeling like I'm being treated like I'm not an American and people questioning my being American. And I think it all, you know, we worked on it so that it, it could express a lot of our feelings and, and rage and anger, but also, you know, disappointment and, and kind of just frustration with the whole thing. And I think that really resonated with a lot of people. The messages I got after that, even if it did nothing more than give strength to people who didn't want to fight, the messages I got from people saying, hey, I, someone called me some racist name and I'm like 38 weeks pregnant. And I was at a grocery store and I was, I was like, why am I here? Why don't I just go, go back to Asia and give up? Like, I mean, not, not, not deal with this because why do I need to put up with this? And then she's read the letter and she cried and she said, no, I'm, I, this is my country too. I deserve to stay in a same fight. But just reading words like that, it meant the world to me because it meant that this letter was a symbol to so many people and a, it gave them voice and words that they had in their hearts, but they couldn't say aloud. And then they saw it being said out loud in the Wall Street Journal and getting covered in the news. And then also the people signing it being like, oh, we're not alone. Like this is the biggest CEOs in the world are signing this. And, you know, not just Asians, 
but people of all different races and ethnicities, they were all signing in support. And I think knowing that just the feeling of knowing you're not alone in so many different ways and capacities can make big, big difference in how confident or strong you feel. And you, 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 you know, whether you know you are isolated in a place with no other Asians or you're a place with a lot of Asians. Like I think just hearing that those words and knowing that there are others to you makes you feel stronger and that you're not alone. Amazing. I just got chills just hearing you say that. And I absolutely agree with you. You know, not every time we have to fight back like we don't have to fight back every time i think a lot of us we just want to feel like we belong here and i think that's exactly what your letter did i think you made a lot of people in the asian community recognize that you know what we belong here and we have a voice here and that shifts their mindset it changes their mindset and sometimes that's all it takes to mm-hmm. really make a difference in their lives and they can relay that same information and mindset to their kids and then on and on and on so i think your letter itself has made such a huge impact and change in our community. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for doing that. And I didn't know that George Bush had signed that letter as well. That's that's so amazing. But just seeing that happen, you know, just hearing about that happening, it gives inspiration and hope to so many people just recognizing that there is people who are not of Asian descent and who are not in the Asian community have our support and who are supporting us as well. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I think that's the thing. I think it's almost for, for whatever reason, I feel like seeing people that aren't Asian support you is even more affirming or reaffirming maybe because we feel like, yes, we demand to be, be recognized as not, we're not foreigners, but the recognition from others maybe validates it. We don't need to have a validation, but somehow it does. But I think that's, you know, that, that was really important to see because it, it, we are, you know, we're not outsiders. You know, these are people who believe that we're part of the communities and we contributed to the communities. And so, yeah, that was for me, the most powerful thing. And, and just hearing from individuals who, we're reaching out and just thankful for for the words and if if nothing else giving them the words to say that they didn't know that they had to say absolutely i mean i definitely remember reading your letter late at night in the midst of my frustration obviously with the community uh what happened what's happening in their community and i just remember saying like wow like I don't really, I haven't really talked to Dave Lee yet, but this guy sounds awesome. <laughs> you know? Hopefully I lived up to the hype, but yes. Thank you. <laughs> Honestly, it made me think of like the, like the founding fathers in some ways. It's like the declaration of independence, right? Because that is, you're basically putting it into words of the frustration that we felt, like what's happened in your community. And I do agree with both of you guys too, that it does feel good to have allyship, especially in this country, because we tend to feel like we're in our own subgroup, right? We're perpetually foreigners that that I want to be expelled expelled from this country. So yeah. that definitely does does matter a lot to me at and, least. And if, if for another another reason it galvanizes the community and it brings gives people conviction and strength to to stand up for themselves. Like that in of itself is huge. And I think that's you know what we need to do more of. And I, I say it today, like it was a letter that we like that got published in the newspaper. It could have been anything, but if we hadn't done that, if it hadn't been put out there, none of this would have happened. And I encourage people like just throw the pebble in the water and, and the ripple effects will be huge. It'll, you know, you, you don't know what, what's going to happen until you actually do it. But so many of us, I feel like we're passive, we're scared, don't have the confidence. We think it's going to fail. We've been raised with a culture to be afraid of, uh, to be afraid to fail. And we need to get rid of that because you know there's so many things beyond just making money or succeeding in school or in your career that is success. There's outcomes that are much more important and the stakes are much higher to success. Just try, try to build that community in your town. Try to build that community in your school. Try to try to write that letter. Try to 
you know, sign up, that, create that petition. Like you, you have no idea what you're capable of until you actually try it. And I think too many of us are afraid to try and we need to do that. Absolutely. Definitely agree with you, Dave. And you're setting that foundation and um, inspiration for other people to do the same thing. So thank you. So Dave, what is next for you? And what do you see <laughs> happening for you in the next five years or so? Oh man, I couldn't even see this year was not, uh, I couldn't expect that plan anything to happen this year, much less five years from now. But look, I'm going to keep doing what I do to, I, I've always you know, wanted to build community and kind of, and I think now I see what my legacy is. Like I want my legacy to be if in the ways I can impact and open doors and bridge cultures, help other communities of color get to a place and women get to a place. It's no different than, you know, what my dad taught me as a kid uh, to fight. I'm going to continue doing that. And whatever I do, whether it's connecting people to raise money for, for good causes or donate money or invest their money to, you know, creating opportunities. I'm, you know, there's different projects I'm involved in. Like I, I'm helping to produce a, a movie about, you know, Jeremy Lin's 10 year anniversary in Insanity coming up, working with two black producers to do that. And I think that's, it's, it's amazing. Trying to raise money for the Smithsonian Asian American Museum in, in on the National Mall because we need a museum there and it takes some time, but I'm trying to connect people to that. There are just some, a lot of big picture things that are in the works that I just want to be able to help. And I don't need, again, I think like anyone else, like you, you don't, I don't need my name to be on any of this stuff. Like if you can connect people who can make something happen, do it. Cause there's literally the paying, the paying it forward thing is, is no joke when you actually, you know, think about how you can actually help without trying to get something for it. Cause it all comes back. I mean, it, it, whether, how, no matter what happens, if people end up introducing other people or referring people to this, that, like, it all comes back. If you put good down in the world, good will come back. And I, I, I do firmly believe that. And I think, you know, the more we use the gifts that we've been given to help other people, the more rewarding it is. When I mentor founders and I see people succeed or I see these projects happen, like I, I don't, so much more rewarding than, you know, doing it myself. You know, it's all, jump, all the jumping of hoops, you know, jumping through hoops that I'm like, oh, sweet. I got into Stanford for business school. Yay, me. That didn't help anybody but myself. But if it's continuing to help other people, then you can keep rooting for them and be really happy for them. And, you know, they can help someone else and it, you know, it keeps going. But I guess it sounds cheesy if you think about it, but for me, it's been a reality. I've been blessed by being able to work with people, help people, you know, touch people's lives in ways that I don't even see. And, you know, I hear from people saying, oh, thanks so much for adding me to this group because I connected with so-and-so and they introduced me to so-and-so and then I raised money from this and then we sold to that. I'm like, great. I didn't do anything but, you know, bring you into the fold, but that's fantastic. So, I mean, to me, that's means more than, than anything. If you can create those kind of connections and, and kind of those collisions, then you're, you're doing a good thing. So uh, my encouragement to people is, you know, put, do what you can to help other people because it'll, it, it'll make you feel really, really good. And that's, you know, if there's a mission behind it, even better. So my, my goal is to leave a legacy behind for my boys and hopefully I'll be able to do that in the next five years and longer, hopefully. Well, we're very, very excited for everything that you have coming up. And I feel like we just resonate with you so much and, you know, with Asian Hustle Network and what you're doing with Stand With Asian Americans and all the communities that you've been building. It's definitely very, very inspiring. It's definitely much needed. So Dave, where can our listeners find more about you and everything that, um, you know, you're running online? 
Well, I, 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 I'm very noisy on LinkedIn, so you can definitely read about my stuff on LinkedIn. And I, I post a lot of Medium. My Medium, uh, hyphencup.com is, is the website. Stand, StandWithAsianAmericans.com is the website to sign a pledge and get involved with chapters uh, in, in the community. But I got nothing to plug other than, you know, go out there and, and help other people, encourage other people, invest in other people, and invest in the community. I think, you know, we can, we're all stronger when we work together. And what you guys have built with Asian Health Network is exactly the venue for so many people to help each other out the stories that you guys like i said stories that you guys don't even know that are happening on the side and 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 not on facebook and whatnot there's people a lot of people are helping each other out and if it weren't for you guys starting it that wouldn't have happened the stories that they're posted that people tell that inspire you know other people the comments that start conversations that start partnerships and who knows what they do those are the things that you guys created and i think you know for all the other folks listening you, you can create a hyphen, you can create a Asian hustle network, you can go out and, and do that too, in your community or, you know, wherever you might be, but plant a seed, think, think about, you know, don't think about what's, what's in it for you, think about what, what could be in it for everyone else. And, you know, it just takes, you know, one pebble to throw in that water and it starts to ripple. Awesome. Thank you so much, David. It was amazing having you on our podcast today. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you so oh, much, Thanks for having Dave. me, guys. Appreciate All right, Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.